Welcome to Ride Every Stride, episode 45. Welcome to Ride Every Stride with Van Hargis, a podcast about horsemanship and more. Our goal is to educate, motivate, inspire, and entertain you through an exploration of everything horsemanship and the intersection of horsemanship and humanship. My name is Laura McClellan, and I'm your co-host on Ride Every Stride, and I am here again with Master Horseman Van Hargis, who I bet you've got something to say today, huh, Van? Well, you know me, Laura. You could just ask me, you know, if fleas jump, but I'd have an hour-long discussion about it. So, yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> All right. Well, good deal. So what are we going to be talking about today? Well, Laura, today, we, you know, we are, we're always encouraging folks to send us questions and to get involved with our podcast by sending questions, comments, concerns, whatever the case may be. And uh, so, uh, finally, we've had a, a pretty good influx of different questions from folks. And uh, so I thought for these, for this episode, as well as the next few, we might just start entertaining some of those questions and getting those questions answered through the podcast. Just so everyone knows is that a lot of times what I will do when someone does send me in a question, I'll oftentimes respond back via an audio recording. It's just something quick and easy for me to do. A lot of times I'll do that when I'm driving over to the ranch. I'll read an email uh, or read something that my wife may send over to me, and then I will answer it through uh, like an audio recording. And then we'll mail that back to the customer. We feel like it's kind of a way that they can kind of get used to that consistency. You know, they're, they're usually listening to us on the, the podcast, and then we'll respond back to them through an audio thing as well. So we really encourage folks to continue to do that. We really, really like answering those things. It's fun for me. It keeps things new and fresh. And at the, at the same time, it lets me know that we're, we're addressing the issues that you guys want addressed. And I can't emphasize that how important I think that is. So today, Laura, we're going to talk about I'm going to title it anyway, gender bias. Mm. But we had a question in regard to, is it different when you're training mares and gildings? Is is there some sort of difference in the way we expect them to behave? So that's kind of the area we're going to focus on today is what our expectations are for mares versus gildings. Well, that's a great question and very timely in our current political climate. So, I so what, the same. <laughs> so, so, and Laura, by so the way, what, speaking of that, I just know you took off the other day, didn't you? You, did, you, you, did, you chose not to go into work. You're going to make one of those statements and you did that, right? Uh, yeah, no, my clients expect me to show up regardless. <laughs> so I was at work. I was showing what gender you are. That's right. They were. They know how important I am. So uh, that's, I, I I showed my support for women everywhere by showing up and doing my job. But well, there you go. Uh, well, that being it's said, funny you say it and you put it that. Yeah. As soon. I mean, as soon as you said that, I thought, da da. There's the topic right there, and that's just it. I mean, what is the job we expect of a mayor of gilding? First of all, we just expect the job of our horse. Question is, what is that job? Is there any excuse for the mare to be different than the gilding as far as behavior, right? And there's not. Now, granted, there's certain things to understand. For example, mares, just like the, the women in our society, there's that sometime during that how would you call that, Laura? Help me out here. <laughs> during a cycle? that certain they time have a cyc- that everybody, yes, life. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and so. During that cycle, we could probably understand that, oh, yeah, the horse may not feel too well today. This mare may not be feeling too well. But I just asked the same question. Inevitably, the, the people who ask me that question the most are females. And I'll just turn the question right back on them. 
Are you expected to do your job? Your kids expect you to help, help them get ready to go to school in the morning and, and, or do whatever you do normally do at home. Does, does your employer expect you to do what you need to do? Does, does your employer really care that you're cycling or whatever the case may be? The reality is no. You know, so that's not a good excuse. That's a good excuse that you don't feel well, but yet your performance is still expected. I expect the same thing of my horses. I, I feel like sometimes it's my job to help them learn how, learn to deal with a certain amount of discomfort. Uh, I will respect that. But at the same time, I have certain expectations of that horse. At the same time, I feel the same way about our gildings. You know, I could care less that he no longer has a desire to procreate and carry on what horses are naturally intended to carry on with. I could care less that he may be depressed by the fact that he's got all these good-looking mares out there and can't do a darn thing about it. <laughs> he's instead of a unicorn, he's a eunuch. Period. He's just a gilding. He can't really procreate. So oftentimes people wonder, well, does that change their behavior? And um, it shouldn't necessarily change their behavior, but it certainly changes their purpose. And that's something else to think about in in some other areas. But the answer to the question just pretty bluntly, you know, do I expect a different behavior? And the answer is no. But do they behave differently? And the answer to that is yes. And it, you can get really deep into horse psychology here if we think about that. But uh, from the mare's perspective, see, a mare has a purpose. And believe it or not, it has nothing to do with us human beings. It's The mare's purpose is to do nothing but to survive and procreate and carry on the species, bottom line. We interfere greatly with that process, don't we? I mean, I, I had a big lecture the other day with a, with a guy in regard to competition with our horses. And he said, well, that's exploiting them. I said, do you own horses? He said, yeah. And, and do you compete? Well, no, I just told you, I'm, I'm just a kind of against competition with horses. I don't want to exploit my horse. I said, you are exploiting your horse. Well, I beg to differ with you, sir. How do you think I'm exploiting my horse? Because you're exploiting the horse for your entertainment. You see, and to me, I think that's a pretty steep exploitation, regardless of the gender. But we, either way, we always exploit our horses for one reason or the other. We exploit them in the sense that they're surrogates for a bad relationship. They're surrogates because we've got too much time on our hands. We want to do something that we think is productive for us. But bottom line is we're interfering with basically what horses are meant to do, which is survive and procreate. So if we can just understand that and just feel okay with impeding on that natural thing, that's kind of the start. And the only reason I bring that up is because therein lies the differences between mares and gildings. You see, because mares do have a purpose. And th th their purpose, again, is to survive and to continue the species. So part of that survival is that cycle thing we were kind of chuckling about a moment ago. But that is a reality with, with horses of certain ages. Once they get beyond, oh, it could start as early as 18 months. And it could, and sometimes for some horses, maybe even earlier. Just again, like us human beings, that, that cycle may start at different times. But when it starts, it's, it changes them. Uh, physically and emotionally sometimes, and I say sometimes, I've got a mare at the ranch. You never know when she's in heat. She's the same day in and day out. I'm very fortunate. I've run across other folks that flat out will not own a mare because they have had one in their past somewhere along the line that was really difficult to work with when they were in heat. Several years ago, I had a filly that was just a phenomenal performance horse. She just did great. And yet, right about the time that she began to cycle, she began to pick up habits that the judges, if we were showing and competing on her, would be kind of disrespectful. She would kind of swish her tail or she would kind of have a scowl on her face. She'd still perform because I would demand that of her, but you could tell she just didn't feel good about doing it. Her expressions weren't good and, and she was uh, more inclined to show signs of stress or discomfort. 
But again, I didn't allow that to be an excuse why she no longer performed, you see. But she was more difficult during that so many days. It was roughly about 10 to eight, eight, seven to 10 days there. She was kind of difficult, but we still expected her to do her job, right? We, we kind of gradually taught her how to work through that discomfort, just like any disciplined woman would do as well, right? I mean, I, I've never known too many women who are really responsible, very productive, that just chose, well, I'm just going to take off work today just because I'm cycling and I just don't want to go in. Um, we, we have responsibilities and so do our horses. Now, the gildings, though, are sometimes slightly different. And the reason why is because they still have the same herd instincts. In other words, they still want to be with their other like kind. So they still have that in common, as do all horses. The difference, though, is that gildings aren't necessarily attracted to the mares during a certain time of year, which is one of the reasons that people love gildings so much is because they're, they tend to be neutral. They're not trying to procreate. They're not trying to sniff the air and smell to see if the mares next to them is in heat or not so that they can do their job. At the same time, they're not cycling like a mare would, so they tend to be a little bit more neutral. But it's outside of them being neutral, they're still a horse. The question we should be asking ourselves is that, are we going to step up to the plate and be the leader for them, regardless of their gender, and teach them how to behave properly? I don't want the mares to flaunt themselves around as if, you know what, I'm a mare, I can get away with certain things, and I can really get away with it certain times of the month. See, if we allow that, well, then we're, we're letting the horse set us up to make excuses for their behavior. Do you do anything different when you're working with a mare that you say that you know is in heat? If you know that she's maybe physically uncomfortable in some way or something, do you do anything different or you ju- do you just do business as usual? Business as usual, okay. you know, without a doubt. I, I don't want to I be mean, the only time I take that in consideration is if it is actually, uh, and, and some horses do. We had a mare once upon a time that really had inflamed ovaries whenever she was cycling. And it would get so bad, in fact, that she just flat out couldn't perform. I mean, she'd just get really, really irritable, and you could tell that she was in pain. And because of that, we kind of took her away out of the program, went and had her thoroughly checked out with a vet. He sonogrammed her ovaries and said, wow, these things are really big. They're very much inflamed. And I think they even did a hormone check on her as well, and her hormones were kind of off the charts. So as a result, yeah, okay, we began to make excuses for her, but that was about it. But there was something physical there. There was something so extreme that it was really causing something. But before somebody throws that as an excuse later, oh, I must have one of those horses Van was talking about. Let me tell you, folks, that's extremely rare. So just because your horse is swishing her tail and acting a little bit different, don't just assume, oh, man, she must really be a a train wreck here. One mare out of however many horses you've worked with over the years. Absolutely. Yes. So we have to realize we don't, let's not look for excuses why the horse doesn't do what we want them to do. Let's look for excuses as to why they can and and don't treat those things any differently. Now, even with that said, even though the question that we're addressing here had nothing to do with stallions, I treat the stallions the exact same way. And the fact that, that I, and, and as a result, folks will come out to the ranch and they'll look at our stud horses that we have in training and they're just blown away that they're standing there as quiet and as mannerly as our gildings. Why? Because we expect that. We expect them to stand. Now, we realize, though, that that, <laughs> that stallion, regardless of his age, is like a teenage boy on steroids. I mean, <laughs> you know, they've got certain thoughts on their minds, and they are thinking it. And, and, and I'm telling you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they're thinking, wow, here's my chance, and let's do this. 
But the reality is we, we have to distract them. We have to keep them focused on their business. But it's our job to, to keep those horses distracted. And distracted from what? Keep them distracted from the girls. You know, keep them focused. Keep them thinking. You know, oftentimes, you know, if, if we allow the horse or even ourselves for that matter to continue thinking about something that may be potentially negative or, or at least negative in this particular circumstance, then we can only reasonably assume that it's just going to escalate. And the, the sad thing about with, with stud cults in particular, once it gets to a certain point, it's hard to pull them back and to get their mind back on us. So in, in this case, then why let their minds get distracted away from us in the first place? I mean, you, you, you kind of get what I'm saying, though, Laura? I mean, we, we want to just kind of keep them focused on us and not let them kind of get so wrapped up into what they think they want to be thinking about. And I say that because it's not really what we think they want to think about. It's really what they do want to be thinking about. But we got to keep them being somewhat productive and safe and that sort of thing. And that's, I mean, you, you've talked about that before. That's the rider's job, the trainer's job, whatever, the handler's job anyway, to keep the horse focused on you and not on whatever instinctive things they might want to be doing instead. And I get that. Um, but the question that comes to my mind, since we're talking about stallions, about you know stud horses, and I, I get that you can do that. You have been working with horses for many, many years. You're very good at what you do. I've always understood that, in general, stallions are, are, can tend to be more aggressive and maybe a little harder to handle. And for that reason, while they may be a great horse for somebody with your skill, maybe they're not the best choice for you know, somebody like me who ought to be riding a nice, quiet quarter horse gelding or something. I mean, is that a true thing or is that just a, a bias that we've we've come up with? No, I, th- I think you're spot on because, and that, you know, let's face it. Sometimes you may see some aggression with, with stud horses. It's usually not, uh, it's it's usually aggression in stud horses is, is uh, almost always provoked. And I, I'm going to have my disclaimer there by saying almost always, but, you know, they, they can be provoked into being aggressive. But really, with stud colts, they're um, they're they're just more outgoing, I guess you could say. But the reason that I think that they're a bigger handful for folks who who don't really have that experience, who aren't really prepared to read a horse in advance. In other words, you've heard me say before, whenever I'm working with a horse, I know what they're thinking before they're thinking it because I'm just I'm reading their body language, and I'm I'm always doing that, even when it seems as if sometimes I'm having a normal conversation with somebody else. The, the, out of the corner of my, my eye, I remind myself of my mom watching me like a hawk when I was a kid. You know, I wasn't allowed to do certain negative things. I was always expected to have good manners and be well behaved. And, uh, and, and so my mom always kind of watched me out of the corner of my eye. She was very attentive. Well, whenever we're working with stud horses, any horse really, we should always be very, very attentive to their behavior. With stud horses, you've got to do that exponentially. I mean, you've really got to increase that awareness. You've got to be keenly aware of what they're thinking all the time. Because again, with them, once they get beyond a certain point in their behavior, uh, they get a little excited. They start nickering. They start calling out. You're a little bit behind the eight ball then. It's a lot harder to bring them back to you. So um, as far as the training goes with, with stud horses, they're really no more difficult to train than any other horse. But we have to be more committed to their potential distractions. We have mm. to be more aware. We've got to be more on our toes with the stallion than we do any other horse. I, I say that, but that doesn't mean I want people to just let their guards down around the gildings and the mares either. 
Yeah. It's just that with the stud horses, they're they're just a lot more of a challenge. It's like it's like watching and monitoring a puppy twenty four seven. You know, they need the, the minute you're working with that horse, you've got to be paying attention to him the entire time. Another reason that stud horses sometimes can be a little bit more difficult is because some people are so keenly aware that he is a stallion, they're almost doing the opposite in the sense that they're bugging him. They're constantly mm-hmm. nagging him. They're, and that's where sometimes you may see a little bit of aggression with a stallion. He's just tired of you bugging him. He's just tired of you nitpicking. And so you don't want to be a, a, a nagging type person whenever you're working with a stallion. You just want to correct them, make it very matter of fact, and then be done with it. But at the same time, when I say be done with it, I don't mean be done for the day. You're done for that yeah. session at that moment. You yeah. know, and then, then because if he kind of turns an ear toward a horse, you know, to another horse again, then you've, you've got to be ready again. You just don't want to yeah. constantly be nagging him. You want to, you want to wait until he either almost makes the mistake or you can tell that he's committed to make the mistake and then you want to correct him. Uh, and, and there's that it's, fine line there. Yeah. I was going to say it's such a fine balance from, you know, from what I'm hearing you say. And, and I get that it applies to, you know, all genders of horses, but to be out in front of them in a sense of keeping yourself in the leadership position without being a nagging mother, so to speak. Exactly. I'm going to kind of give you a story. Several years ago, I had an opportunity to ride this black stallion. He was an absolute gorgeous looking horse. Whenever we had had an opportunity to do an article with Horse and Rider magazine several years ago, and and this horse caught the attention of the photographer. I mean, he just loved him. And so we did the majority of that article about this particular stud horse. And um, by the time that we were showing him, we were competing on him, he was just as docile as could be. And a lot of people would walk up and they would look at him and say, oh, my goodness, he's a stallion. He's just so quiet. And, and of course, I was very proud of his behavior then. But I'm telling you, Laura, when they very first brought the stud cult to me, he was a two-year-old. He had never been handled uh, correctly. He, he the, the owners were a little bit afraid of him, a little bit intimidated by him because he would nicker and he would call out and well, I'm just going to be really blunt. He had run his tool out of his britches, so to speak, and and would just be quite quite the handful. I mean, it is he was really a tough one. Well, of, of course, the guy wanted me to get him going and get him showing as quickly as possible, but I had to really get control of this guy's hormones. I had to really get control to let him know, hey, I'm I'm going to be your leader. And in order to do that, I always tell everybody that usually the fastest way to get to a horse, and especially a, a young stud colt, is through their legs and lungs. If you can get their legs and lungs under control and you get those legs and lungs consuming a lot of calories, a lot of energy, then that horse will begin to look for other answers. And when they realize that you are the one that's in control of his legs and lungs, uh, they'll generally turn to you pretty quickly as being their leader. Well, I worked this horse like crazy on the ground. Then we finally got to the point we were riding him. And, uh, but I, I got to where in the, I'm sure this young horse, this young stud horse had a really hard time figuring out how I knew what was on his brain all the time. But you see, I made a good point to ride him usually twice a day, and I would ride him early in the morning and late in the evening. And some people would automatically assume that, well, because we're in Texas, of course he's riding him early in the morning and late in the evening because that's when it's cooler, right? I mean, that's what most people would assume. I'm going to say, yeah, that was a, a, a good benefit. But the real reason was because where the sun was during, during those times, the sun was very low which meant that it cast a long shadow from one side to the other. I'd be exercising and working this horse, and then every time I would stop him, I would stop him broadside of the sun. Why? Because then, if another horse on the property nickered or called out, he'd try to run his little tool out, 
and I could see the shadow. <laughs> I didn't wait for the behavior to start picking up. You see, I was reading, literally reading body language here, right? I mean, as soon as I saw that shadow, I'd kick him right back up into a lope or I'd begin to work him, keep him exercised. In other words, I'd keep his brain occupied on more things. Sadly for him, the things that I want him to do consumed a tremendous amount of energy, tremendous amount of calories. And I'd do the same thing in the evening. I'd ride him in the evening. Every time I stopped him, let him rest, I would stop him broadside of the sun so I could see the shadow. As soon as he thought about getting a little excited, I'd put him back to work. Now, see, after a while, what do you think that horse was thinking? I mean, sooner or later, he'd connect the dots. And sooner or later, he got to realize that, hey, man, every time I start having these thoughts, I run out of air. Now, the good thing is, is that he became very, very, very well trained <laughs> because if we, I mean, we, we rode him and we, we really put a lot of time and effort into him, but it was a way for us to get better control of his behavior. Now, here's the only reason that I don't recommend stud horses to most people. And I'm going to say, when I say most, I mean, probably 90 or more percent of the riders, I'd say don't do that because most people won't be that committed to dealing with that sort of behavior. So the easier approach for us then is to select our, our mares and our gildings for most people. And, and so let's get back to our original question. Our original question then, do I find a difference between the mares and the gildings in, in training them in their behavior? And uh, the answer is yes, I see a little difference in their behavior, but I expect no less from either. They're still expected to go to school. They're still expected to be mannerly. They're still expected to represent me and represent my owner, represent the ranch, so to speak, in a very well-respected way. I kind of look at it like every time the, the coaches had to load all of us football guys up and take us on a road trip to one football game to the next. We were expected to represent ourselves well, represent our team well, represent our school well, and rep represent the institution of football really well. Uh, we, we just had certain expectations. The coaches didn't care if we were freshmen, seniors. White, black, running back, quarterback, he didn't care. We were expected to behave. And I kind of think the same way with my horses. And, uh, and I don't care what gender they are. Yeah, I think that's a really important message to get out because, you know, I've heard you talking about this and I, I'm thinking of all the things I've heard over the years in my, you know, more limited experience with horses about, you know, the difference between cranky mares and study stallions and all of those things. And I think what you're saying is, yep, they have their different personalities, their different hormonal reactions, but most of the bad behavior that we see is because we're letting them get away with it. Exactly. Now, here's the thing. To, I, I'm glad you used that specific term, letting them get away with it. So many people will, will say to me, well, you know how that horse is. He's just trying to get away with something. Well, first of all, we've got to realize that horses don't sit around and, and have these manipulative thoughts, yeah. you know, like, hey, I'm going to see if I can't do this. They, don't, they just don't think that way. Yeah. Horses are literally living moment to moment, just trying to survive the moment. They want to do the easiest thing they possibly can for themselves right at that moment. Now, oftentimes, what's easy for them is not necessarily what we want. Mm -hmm. um, they, they might want more space and another horse is too close to them. So, of course, they're going to kind of maybe pin an ear or do whatever to try to to, to let the other horses and maybe even let us know, hey, I really don't want that guy there. Well, that's where we've got to step in because they're not trying to get away with something. They're not trying to kick that horse just because they're trying to be mean and because they're trying to get away with something. They're just being themselves at that moment. But what we have to ask ourselves is 
the parameter which we're setting for their behavior, is that fair? And if so, we need to hold ourselves accountable for enforcing it, and we need to hold the horse accountable for falling within that parameter. Yeah, and and I'm, I think it's important to emphasize the point that I think what I hear you saying is when you're asking the question, is it fair of me to expect my mare to behave a certain way or my stallion to behave a certain way? The answer is yes, they are capable of doing it. Absolutely. And you know, and the thing is, if you've got a cranky mare, the way, I mean, I love this story. Several years ago, and you guys have heard me mention a fellow by the name of Laurie McVicker before. He was from New Zealand. He, He was basically my surrogate grandfather while I was over there. Just loved the man to death. But he went with me to a clinic one time, and this lady was on kind of a cranky mare. And the the mare was just doing typical things, you know, kind of being cranky with the owner, being cranky with some of the other horses. And I kept giving these suggestions as to what I would try if I was working with her and really worked with the lady trying to get her to kind of step up to the plate and hold herself and hold the horse accountable. But she just kept making excuse after excuse after excuse. And then finally, Laurie spoke up and says, well, lady, you're riding it, and you see that kind of put things into perspective. Mm. That lady had to realize that the reason the horse was doing what it was doing is because the horse was being allowed to do it. Yeah. Now, here's the reality. If that crankiness is beyond what you want to deal with, then the simple solution is just trade horses. Make your life simple. If you don't have the herewithal to, to be that attentive and that assertive, then just find yourself a, a, a better horse. You see, because it, it, in order to make that change in that horse, your behavior has to be stronger and more outgoing than the horse's behavior. You have to be more committed to the behavior that you want than the horse is committed to the behavior that it thinks it wants. The, and I'll go back to that stud horse situation. Why do you think the horse eventually got to be so quiet? I was more committed to that horse being quiet than he was committed to being a little outgoing. <laughs> you yeah. see, so. Now, you've heard me say before, he who waits the longest is the trainer. Well, in this case, neither one of us are waiting. He who is most assertive is the trainer. So I became the horse's leader by just being a little bit more committed. So I, I just recommend to folks, you know, if, if, if you're riding a, a mare that's a little bit more work than what you want, then just find something for yourself that you can get along with a little bit better because it does. It takes a tremendous amount of commitment to make those changes. Yeah, and I would guess that it's worth it, but everybody's got to decide for themselves how they want to interact with their horse and how much work they're prepared to put into um, getting the horse to behave the way they want them to. And, and, yeah. But the bottom line is, as I think you're saying, we're not making excuses for a, a horse's bad behavior based on what gender it is. Every every gender is capable of behaving well. Yep, exactly. I. To kind of finish with, with this particular episode, let's just kind of go back and look real quick too, Laura, though. You know, gildings, they, they really have no natural place within the hierarchy. They Don't get me wrong. They'll find it because they're still herd animals. So we have to take that in consideration. But also we have to realize that every horse and every herd is going to be somewhere in that ladder of hierarchy from all the way from alpha to to Omega. You know, there's always leaders all the way down to those guys that are the followers. We as horsemen need to uh, adjust our training approaches sometimes just enough to get the message across to that horse, regardless of where he is within that, within that thing. And then we have to support it as well. But uh, again, we keep going back to the expectations. And in, in closing, I just want folks to realize that 
Set your expectations of how you want your horses to behave. Don't make excuses for them because, you know, you fed them late that morning or you you, you were out all night the night before and the, and the horse was in the trailer for so many hours. Uh, we, we, we don't want to make those excuses. We just want to set those expectations, stand by those expectations, support them. And before you know it, we'll end up having the horses that we really, that we really like to ride and be around. Uh, I think, like I said, I think it's an important message to get out there. I think there's a lot of misconception out there, and hopefully this episode is, is going to help clear some of that up. Uh, I'm guessing it's going to spawn a lot of questions among listeners, and I know you're more than happy to answer those questions. So I encourage listeners who have questions about this, whether it's about your particular horse or your way of dealing with the horse that you are working with, Send your questions, your comments to to Van any number of ways. You can uh, comment on the show notes for this episode on the website. Uh, go to the Van Hargis Horsemanship Facebook page. I, uh, you can post comments there or questions, and Van watches those and will answer to them. If you want to share your thoughts you know, privately in a less public way, you can email those questions or comments or suggestions about the show to info at vanhargis.com. And then we'll see those and um, and respond as appropriate. Van, I know you've got a ton of stuff coming up. Uh, I know as this episode is being published, if folks are listening to it the day it comes out in late March of 2017, you're actually going to be in Oregon for the Northwest Horse Fair and Expo. And so if you you listen to this episode and, and it's the weekend of March 24th uh, through the 26th of 2017, go to the expo and find Van. There's lots of stuff going on there. What else do you have coming up, Van, that people might want to know about? Laura, we've got a whole host of stuff. We just closed another contract with uh, with the main event. We're going to do at least two of their events uh, coming up. Um, the, the closest one that's going to be to us is in April the 21st through the 23rd. It's going to be in Alberta, Canada, Red Deer, Alberta. So we're really looking forward to that one. Uh, of course, we're working with Purina Mills. Again, we're doing some stuff with them called Horse Owner Workshops, also known as How Meetings or How Shops. That's our, our next one we're going to do with those guys is going to be in Conroe, Texas. And then, of course, at the end of April, we're going to be uh, in East Texas, at the Bar None Cowboy Church, to do a three-day clinic there, the 28th through the 30th uh, in Tatum, Texas. And that, that again, is going to be the, uh, the Bar None Cowboy Church. I'm excited about all of those, Laura. The Alberta deal at the main event, that's an event that I've, I've done everything from cult starting challenges there to some demonstrations on nothing beyond the basics, all the way up to advanced type horsemanship. Our crowds at those events are just phenomenal. So really looking forward to folks visiting with us up there. And we've got quite a few listeners from Canada. So we're hoping they stop in on us and visit with us at that expo. But almost everything on our schedule our spring is, like usual, filling up quite nicely. We want to have everybody come out and visit with us. And again, Laura, like you mentioned, send those questions and comments. We're going to be doing several episodes. In fact, this episode, as well as the next couple and maybe even a few after that, we're actually going to be addressing some of those questions. So I just want the listeners to understand that those questions are very, very important to us because I want folks to hear the content that's important to them. That's my primary goal with this whole deal with the podcast is that I want folks to realize that it's all about them. We would, we want to be a source for the information that they want to learn and that they want to be a part of. Yeah. So again, send an email to info at vanhargis.com, drop into the Facebook page, the, the Van Hargis Horsemanship Facebook page, post your questions there. 
Uh, and other than that, if you want to know where Van is and what he's up to, visit the website at vanhargis.com. There's a, a schedule of his activities and where he is. And, and in a lot of cases, you can sign up to participate or to be part of the audience. So check those out uh, at vanhargis.com. Yeah, don't forget the Top Hand Club. Oh, I want to yeah. be sure and tell everybody, too, we've got, as always, we've got a great deal for the Top Hand Club. I think a great introductory offer. This is it. We've got a video. Um, it was a very popular video, and it's during its time, and it's uh, called Bit by Bit. Whenever you sign up for the, the Van Hargis Top Hand Club, you get that Bit by Bit DVD sent to you at no cost whatsoever. Actually, it's a downloadable DVD or downloadable, downloadable video, and you get it at no cost to you. It's just part of the membership. But here's the cool part, Laura. I promise there's at least two... And I'll just give everybody a big hint. There's two spelling errors in that video. If they watch the video carefully enough and they can tell us what those spelling errors are, then we're going to let them have the starting or the uh, the other video series on training the versatile ranch horse, another very popular video series, training the versatile ranch horse at half off. Mm-hmm. So if they for four dollars and ninety five cents, they get that video bit by bit. It's an hour long video. And if they can tell us, just send us an email, send us a text message, let us know what that error or what those two errors are, then they get that next video at half off. It's just a phenomenal deal. So we're doing that as a kind of a promotional thing for the the uh, Van Hargis Top Hand Club. What a deal. So yeah, you cool. find out about that, you uh, about joining the Top Hand Club, they're on the website at vanhargis.com. And there's still, I think, some spaces left for the sort of founding members to get in for, you know, a lifetime membership basically at four ninety five a month. Once once you join, if you still get in under that wire, um, as long as you stay a member, your your membership cost, the subscription cost, if you want to call it that, is is going to be four ninety five a month to get all that content. We've talked about that before, but check it out on the website. I mean, you're not going to find a better resource for your horsemanship than the Top Hand Club. And here's a cool thing too, Laura. Our saddles, for whatever reason, and I'm so excited, but our saddles are selling very well. Did you know that a Top Hand member, you get 10% off everything on our webpage? I mean, everything Mm -hmm. in our store, which means that if you buy one of my saddles, which is normally going to retail for about $25.95, but if you're a member, you get that already at a 10% discount. Wow. So instead of, you know, so, I mean, you isn't don't that crazy? Mean $25.95, though, right? Exactly. That's <laughs> 250-something bucks off of that thing for a whopping $4.95 membership. We, so I just think that's tremendous value. But we're doing it because we want people to be a part of the Van Hargis Top Pan Club. It helps us bring more stuff to our listeners. Well, Laura, I, I tell you, with all that said, I, I just want to extend a great thank you to all the listeners out there. We've we've had a great number of folks get back to us lately with some phenomenal comments and, of course, wonderful questions, which is fueling our future episodes. So really appreciate that. So with that gratitude, I just want to tell everybody and remind everybody that until next time, remember, it's your ride, your trail, it's your journey. So ride ever stride. Ride ever stride.